Hello and welcome to the EACCNY Transatlantic Pulse, a podcast platform that showcases transatlantic business insights from both sides of the pond. My name is Yvonne Bendinger-Rothschild and I'm the Executive Director of the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and I encourage you to subscribe to our programs on your favorite podcast channel. In this episode, we will hear from Lucinda Creighton, former Irish Minister for European Affairs and member of the Irish Parliament. She is currently the CEO of Vulcan Consulting, based in Dublin and Brussels, and assists companies in understanding the political, policy, and decision-making environment in Ireland and Europe as a whole. She is joined by Rob Huron, tax partner based in EY's Belfast office. Rob has advised a large number of entrepreneurial businesses in Northern Ireland, and as EY's Brexit lead in Northern Ireland, he has played a crucial role in advising a range of clients on the implications of the UK leaving the EU. In this episode, you will hear about the current political and business climate in Northern Ireland and in the UK in the post-Brexit landscape. What are the opportunities and challenges facing these businesses? Enjoy. So it's been um, it's certainly been an interesting um, couple of weeks in Northern Ireland, in particular in respect of a continued fallout from Brexit. The Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, there hasn't been any major breakthrough, I think it's fair to say, uh, between the EU and the UK, but there's been a lot of uh, almost a flurry of political activity. Um, Lord Frost gave, you know, an important speech outlining the UK's position, spelling out their desire to amend the Northern Ireland Protocol, but not to uh, sort of abandon it completely. Uh, which I think is a is a hopeful sign from from the point of view of of trying to reach agreement, even if it takes some months. And then very quickly after that, the EU chief negotiator, Vice President Mar Mar-Sefcovic, uh, visited Dublin and and Northern Ireland, um, met with political leaders both sides of the border, and again I think has focused on de-escalating tensions, trying to find solutions, uh, reaching out to community and business leaders, and as uh, one EU diplomat described it, taking the spice out of uh, the, the recent debates over, over the Northern Ireland Protocol. So I think you know both sides are beginning to show signs of pragmatism, um, and we are beginning to see, or at least have a sense that while a breakthrough is not imminent. Both sides are much more engaged and much more constructive, I think, than was the case a few months ago. So we can maybe be a little bit hopeful from from that point of view, Rob. Yeah, listen, to, uh, thanks very much for that. And yeah, from my perspective now, as you know, my role is um, advising a number of Northern Ireland's largest businesses on a number of areas. And of course, over the last um, number of years, Alice included preparing pre-Brexit and now post-Brexit and we're some eight months on from the Brexit period and you're right there's still a huge amount going on. What I would say around the business community is that there are certainly still some challenges of um, that has resulted from Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Businesses though are generally working their way through what those challenges might mean to them and I think there has been you know in the recent months a greater degree of understanding of what the requirements, etc., are uh, under the new working arrangements, and maybe we can come on to in a bit. Certainly, I'm, I know some businesses now that are also looking to the potential advantages that Northern Ireland could have because of this relatively unique position under the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, and just for listeners who maybe don't really fully understand what that might mean, 
Northern Ireland is has got unfettered access. It's still part of the United Kingdom customs union, etc. But for movement of goods, it is aligned with the single market with the European Union. So that means businesses with goods in Northern Ireland they can f circulate freely into the UK market and into Ireland and and beyond. And that's a really really interesting perspective for us. And something that businesses, like I say, haven't got through some of the initial shocks and challenges, and we're not through all those there. There definitely are still some administrative burdens and uncertainties to work through. Mm -hmm. I think businesses are now starting to look towards what some of the opportunities might be under the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the things that I've I've been following are the trade figures in Northern Ireland. And, you know, if you look at imports to the Republic of Ireland from Northern Ireland since the UK left the EU, they've increased by 77 percent. I mean, it's phenomenal. So, I mean, while we're very much concerned about the stress and the pressure, which um, particularly certain businesses find themselves under, um, you know, already we're beginning to see some signs of opportunity specifically for Northern Ireland here, which is which I think is really interesting, if still challenging. One of the areas I suppose that everybody has been focused on is this whole issue of the grace period, which is in place, um, which has allowed for relatively unfettered movement. I mean, certainly not entirely unfettered movement, but relatively unfettered movement and a, a sort of a, a delay in the requirement for certain checks on imports to Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK. That deadline was originally extended until the 30th of September um, and we saw the UK um, stating its intention to extend that again unilaterally but I, I, I really feel on this occasion having given far more of a heads up to the European Union it didn't come as such a surprise on this occasion and you know again you know talking about taking the spice out of out of the situation between the two sides it seems the you know the eu is is pretty much in agreement so we're likely to see these grace periods extended um at least until the end of the year possibly into 2022 um i presume that's a relief for many of your clients to see that you know it isn't coming to a head right at this moment in time yeah it absolutely is um listen it's a relief for many clients and you referred earlier sir, to, to some of the trade flow figures. If I could just maybe share some of my reflections over the past number of months on actual movements of goods. So um, movements of goods, NI to GB, remains, as I said, completely unfettered. And really, we've seen no real uh, additional challenges of moving goods from NI to GB. Moving some goods from GB to NI, I would describe it as it's generally gone pretty well. And indeed, it's continued to get better and better. But there have been some challenges there. There have been some breakdowns in the supply chain, and I think we'll probably have to be aware that that's that might be partly related to Brexit, but also partly related to things like the COVID pandemic, etc., and general general pressure in supply chains, etc. But there have been definitely some challenges of moving goods GB to NI. We've seen some reduced um, product lines, etc., being brought in by some of the major retailers, etc. Um, and again, that's partly linked to Brexit, partly linked to COVID. Some of the other challenges there have been, there's certainly an increased administrative burden on clients bringing goods in, GB to NI, and you raise a really interesting point around the grace period there. And I think there's still a bit of confusion with some people in the market as to what that is actually about. So there is a customs requirement, customs declarations requirements, et cetera, for bringing goods into GB to NI. There has been since day one from Brexit and there continues to be. The grace periods are more in, re in relation to export health certificates, et cetera, certifications, et cetera, around moving, bringing goods into Northern Ireland.
food and related goods into Northern Ireland. You're absolutely right. That has been has been welcomed. Uh, I think it's interesting how you describe the reaction for the, the maybe the lack of reaction from the EU around this unilateral extension by uh, UK government. I think is is interesting in itself. I think that for me sort of points towards where what many of my clients are saying at the minute, and that is the NI protocol isn't perfect. Okay, there are definite challenges with it, but actually the core of it we can probably work with, but let's try and make things more pragmatic where we can. And I think, you know, the extension of the grace periods to give everybody, as you said, to take the spice out of some of the conversations that have been going on, to sit down and go, well, what can we actually do to make sure the EU gets the protections it needs, but equally, you know, there is um, as pragmatic a solution as possible. I think all that is to be is, is particularly welcomed by uh, by business in Northern Ireland just now. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I suppose one of the things from the EU side consistently, uh, and I've heard this from from many of our of my former uh, government colleagues in Dublin as well, is you know the real desire on the EU side to see movement from the UK in terms of at least setting out a path to fulfilling you know the aspects of the protocol which the UK government is required to implement. So you know things that are still outstanding like um, putting in place customs posts and so on. You know there will need to be um, movement on those outstanding obligations. But I think you know again it it will be probably in parallel to these ongoing negotiations and I think um, you know there will certainly be some give and take on both sides and speaking of that I mean I work with a number of healthcare pharmaceutical companies and that is certainly an area where there has been and there is a great risk of a very significant disruption in Northern Ireland um, We've seen, I think, in um, in recent months over the course of the summer, the British Generic Manufacturers Association, for example, pointing out the real risk um, that uh, you know thousands of medicines um, could be withdrawn from the from the Northern Ireland market if uh, some of the obstacles are not um, resolved. And uh, Marsh Sefcovich, the EU negotiator, it was one of the key points raised with him while he was in Northern Ireland in the past week. And he has committed to a constructive solution being put forward from the EU. So again, you know, a very tricky and complex area where significant not just um, business implications arise, but also obviously, you know, major issues for citizens in Northern Ireland. So interesting to see that the EU side is is certainly moving in the right direction there and is trying to find a resolution. And uh, I suppose, you know, again, it's it's part of this give and take that we're seeing between the two sides. I don't know if there are other specific sectors that you have seen particularly impacted and if there are issues that are you know, high on the EU agenda as well, in addition to pharmaceutical and healthcare issues. Yeah, I think that the pharmaceutical and healthcare issues points you make are, are are very well made, Lucinda, and there certainly is you know some challenges there um, that are coming here in the near term. And like like you, I share optimism that you know with a pragmatic approach from both sides, we'll find answers there because I mean it is absolutely fundamental that we do. And just in terms of you know your question around uh, your point around other sectors. The listeners may or may not be aware that agri-food is enormously important to the Northern Ireland economy uh, and an area in which I would do quite a lot of work. And it's been quite high profile, as we've said, because they would be ones who would um, have particular challenges around moving goods, both GBD and INN, 
NI to GB, export health certificates, etc., are, are a very sensitive area, as we touched on um, earlier on, on in the podcast. So that would be an area where there have been sort of particular challenges and uh, you know and and concerns. And what I would say that's uh, that's a sector where the grace periods have certainly helped. And I would also think that's a sector where our, I think of now are turning their mind to um, what some of the opportunities might be. I mean, you referred earlier to the trade flow figures, um, NI to ROI. And what we are seeing already is that there's some NI um, food businesses and general manufacturing businesses are going at the minute, you know, if there are difficulties moving goods from mainland GB into ROI, that actually Northern Ireland uh, food manufacturers can find a really, really good solution for that. We have a couple of really nice examples that were um, made public or, you know, earlier on in the year. Delhi Lights, a sandwich manufacturer in Newry, Northern Ireland, has picked up a number of, of all-island contracts as a result of this year. That was just one of the examples. So that was a sector that was particularly hit, particularly concerned before Brexit came along, and I understand all the reasons why. Working through some of those challenges, but also are now looking at the opportunities. And just, you know, whenever we are touching on that, one of the challenges, definite challenges are there, I've referred earlier to admin burden, and bringing goods in GBDNI requires customs declarations supported by the Trader Support Service. That is proving to be administratively burdensome if you're making lots of lots and lots of movements. And some of our uh, businesses in the food sector particularly would be bringing lots of different raw materials in, um, from GB to manufacture in Northern Ireland to go back into GB. So there definitely is still a challenge there in ter- terms of the volume of administration. And yes, businesses like ourselves and others are looking at sort of more automated RPA solutions there, but there definitely is a bit of a challenge there. Also, maybe one other comment would be if you have a business in Northern Ireland that's bringing goods in from GB to Northern Ireland and some of them are then going on to um either the Republic of Ireland or just generally get into the European market. They're what we call goods at risk under the Northern Ireland Protocol. There's still some practical challenges there of working through what all that actually means. And one of the things that the UK government said was if goods are considered at risk when they come into Northern Ireland and therefore you've got to pay EU tariffs on them, that there would be a tariff rebate scheme now where, as I say, eight months on from Brexit and still we haven't seen the detail on that. So there's still areas of uncertainty which are impacting mm-hmm. Uh, specific businesses, specific sectors, uh, and the one probably I would call it is, you know, agri-food, dealing with the front end of some of the challenges, but also turning its mind to what the opportunities are. Yeah, and I mean, those administrative burdens and challenges and, you know, issues like um, tariff rebates, which become cash flow issues as well, they're particularly acute for smaller businesses. Certainly talking to some of the large um, food producers, um, I mean, as in global operations, you know, they have invested millions in preparing for these eventualities and they have the capacity to absorb the impact a little bit better. So it's really, you know, there's a particular uh, challenge for small, medium sized enterprises in uh, mainland Britain and in Northern Ireland. And indeed, in in some instances, it impacts um, business in, in the Republic of Ireland as well. So. Um, I think the faster these issues are resolved um, and permanent solutions are put in place, the better. Yeah, I completely agree. And some of the conversations that we've had in the past were, and perhaps it's a good time to just, you know, bring them out again. 
there are specific exemptions or relaxations for small and medium-sized enterprises in various different forms across the European Union and GB, whether that be enhanced tax release for things like R&D or just specific exemptions regarding financial reporting, etc., under UK GAAP, etc. So I do think there is precedent there to kind of, I wouldn't say completely scope out small and medium-sized um, entities, but perhaps have a slightly different system or some sort of dispensation for them, because I completely agree with your point there in that it can be um, relatively higher burden for the smaller and medium-sized businesses. And if you think about you know, their overall impact and trade flows, it, 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 in certain sectors, it may not be that material. So I think there are, again, that could be a, a practical, pragmatic solution that um, that that is that is considered as part of um, the go forward position between the UK and the and the EU. I suppose just mm -hmm. the, the other point I would make here is that at the minute, businesses in Northern Ireland and beyond are dealing with um, shortages in the labour market, rising commodity prices, rising freight uh, prices. Uh, an example would be. You know, it's not so long ago it cost $1,500 to ship a container from China. That same container could cost $20,000 today. I mean, that's just having an, an enormous impact. So if businesses are dealing with all these issues right now, and we could have a debate today as to which, what, what of that's related to Brexit, what's related to COVID, what's related to other macroeconomic factors. We could debate all day, and everybody might well have a different view on that. The fact of the matter is that that's where they are. Okay, Brexit might well have played an impact in that there. So it does sort of heighten. You know, I was with a group of businesses last night. Underlying, they all feel that their business is doing particularly well, but there's definitely some key challenges to deal with at the minute. So I just think we need to think about everything in the context of the wider macroeconomic environment at the minute. Yeah, I think that's a point really well made, and you know, obviously. The global economy has recovered relatively strongly. It's certainly, you know, far more strongly, I think, than might have been anticipated from the from the COVID pandemic. Though the pandemic is clearly not over, um, but you know, the, the the global economic recovery is relatively strong. So, you know, I, I think with that perhaps come challenges connected to inflation. Obviously, the supply chain issues are are uh, very acute at the moment. Certainly, I think from the point of view of Northern Ireland business, there are decisions that could be taken to mitigate the impact of some of that. For example, you know, I think it's well documented the the issue around visas and the lack of um, labour supply um, in the UK at the moment, which I think can probably be um, fairly directly linked to Brexit, which is having a knock on effect. So there are probably more localised solutions and measures that can be taken. But obviously, as you've very eloquently pointed out, um, a lot of these global cost issues um, are a challenge the world over. On looking ahead to the to kind of prospects for a breakthrough and all of this, I mean, I suppose we can't, or maybe we will, have to live in a in a in a sort of a, a permanent state of uh, extension of grace periods and no kind of enduring solution. But I think at some point it'll be in the interests of the UK government, uh, certainly of um, uh, Northern Ireland um, and the EU to to actually, you know, put in place compromises and uh, and and permanent systems and structures to move beyond this kind of ongoing uncertainty. And I think, you know, from a from a political point of view, I'm certainly more optimistic than maybe I was a few months ago. Uh, I think that, you know, we have seen a de-escalation of the political rhetoric. We did hear from uh, the leader of the Democratic Unionist Party in, in recent weeks, you know, not entirely um, without cause, 
you know, the, there is a, a hostility to the protocol amongst many in the unionist community. And I do think that that needs to be taken into account in trying to make the protocol work. But I think that the calls from the DUP to sort of abandon the protocol would not be in anybody's interest. And I think um, it's really uh, incumbent on politicians on both sides to, to, to move on. So, you know, while there is a fractious environment politically in Northern Ireland, there's nothing new in that. It's definitely heightened since Brexit. I think, um, I think in a way, both sides just need to not be distracted by that uh, and keep their eye on the goal um, of, you know, finally resolving these issues, um, uh, bedding down the protocol and uh, and getting on with life and with business and with normal interactions in Northern Ireland. So uh, I certainly am optimistic that that is far more likely than perhaps was the case a few months ago. I, I think, you know, we are seeing um, a much more pragmatic approach and uh, I'm very hopeful that if not by the end of the year, certainly within six months or so, uh, we may see uh, a kind of a final uh, resolution to all of this, with both sides making compromises that are ultimately in the interest of Northern Ireland citizens and businesses. Yeah, and the piece around certainty, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there are pretty, Northern Ireland's in a, a unique position here, which creates potentially a super opportunity for us here a really fantastic opportunity now um i think northern ireland could be a fantastic place for fdi somebody who's looking maybe an advanced manufacturer whatever it might be want to supply the gb market and the e market i mean what better place than northern ireland for that and whenever you're looking at some large sophisticated organizations they are used to dealing with geo and political uncertainty they can navigate it all the way all through that but I think it would be an even more compelling proposition if we had certainty as to where where we were going. And I just think it would be beneficial for everybody in Northern Ireland, as you say, the citizens, uh, for business, just for, for everybody. If you know, we could kind of say that's Brexit. I don't know if I'll ever say that's Brexit done, but if we could just <laughs> reach a point where we had a, we had a, it was it was lo- it was as done as it's ever going to be, and we can all just start moving on. Because I go back to saying. Northern Ireland's a fabulous place. I'm biased. I've lived here pretty much all my life. I haven't spent some time in different countries, but pretty much all my life here. It's a fabulous place with a great education system, fantastic in a number of different ways, quality of life. And with this opportunity as well, I think it's a super place for some people to really think about citing business here, particularly if they want to springboard into the Euro- um, into the broader European market. I think that's a very compelling pitch. Um, you know, I... <laughs> You're definitely, it's definitely working on me anyway, Rob. So uh, I'm sure there are plenty of, plenty of business leaders listening who will, uh, who will uh, take your words um, yeah. um, very seriously and, uh, and give favorable consideration to Northern Ireland. Um, so I think, I think we've probably, we've touched on lots of issues. Um, I think it's been a really interesting discussion and, and valuable getting um, your perspective, Rob. Um, based on your own experience with clients and overcoming some of the challenges. So, you know, looking forward to seeing what happens in the months ahead and uh, and hopefully um, finding, arriving at that certainty that you've talked about um, for Northern Ireland. And uh, I think we're moving in that direction. Yeah, well, 
thanks very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation as well, Lucinda. I said this a number of times during Brexit. I would be interested to see where we are in, in, in six months' time. And unfortunately, for a number of years, we, we were never any, we weren't particularly further forward. But I agree with you. I think the next number of months will bring, you know, more progress. And you know, it might be great to catch up in six and then twelve months' time to see where are we? What's happening? Have some? Have we realised some of these opportunities? What's what's it starting to look like? As I, you know, I personally am. Um, always like to look forward with optimism and um, I think there's a really bright future ahead for Northern Ireland. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Rob. It's been really interesting talking right, to you. you. Thanks. Thanks, Lucinda. That concludes this podcast episode. Thank you very much for joining us in the series. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation for the EACC Transatlantic Pulse. Please stay tuned for the next installment. Take care.